0: Join us now on The Collector
1: Show with Harold Nickel. Everywhere, it's The Collector Show. You've come to the right place to find out everything there is to know about different types of collectibles. Now, this week, we're going to be talking about coins. The word for coin collecting is numistology. We're not going to make you spell it. Just know that it's numistology. And uh, I think people who collect coins are numisthetis. Man, is that hard to say? So we're going to talk about coin collecting. A great book and a great interview. You will not want to tune out. Listen about how to make money collecting coins. And how our guest actually makes a living collecting coins. You don't want to miss that. Later in the program, Heather Gallegos is going to talk to us about doubloons, as in gold doubloons, silver doubloons. You're not going to believe where you can find them, how difficult it is, but at the same time, how valuable they are. You'll want to hear Heather's segment, and she's also going to talk to us about a very unusual, big, and valuable collection of doubloons that's in New Orleans, Louisiana. So don't go away. Listen to that. In the news this week, we're going to talk about some new media. Uh, New media being internet media, kind of like uh, what this show is. Um, Internet radio is considered new media. It's very targeted at the types of people who are interested in different things, like everybody that listens to this show likes to collect something. But this new media uses YouTube to break open packs of baseball cards, and it's a story out of Tom's River, New Jersey and a baseball shop that's located off Route 37. If you go into this shop, it's just like any other baseball card shop. It's got all the usual card memorabilia and baseball memorabilia, but in the back room, beyond the cash register and another set of cases, the owner, who's a guy named Rick D'Alessandro, is squeezed into a makeshift recording studio. He's got a folding table, a camera on a tripod, a microphone, and a couple of mixers, and those are sound mixers. Now that's where he made himself into more than just another baseball card collector. Sitting at the white table in 2003, he first carved out a niche by inviting the world to join him as he opened packs of baseball cards. Six years on, spurred by the meteoric rise of YouTube, thousands of collectors are now doing the same thing from the kids who struggle to pronounce the names of the players, and man, I'm one of those, and I'm not a kid. People are opening packs and boxes of baseball cards in front of a camera and sharing the moment with anybody who chooses to watch. So they're making these videos of breaking open packs of cards and putting them on YouTube. If you search YouTube for baseball card break, most collectors refer to those uh, openings. And some of them have parties for openings. They refer to them as breaks. You'll see more than 8,000 results for opening baseball cards on YouTube. The man who owns the shop and who started this all back in 03, Mr. D'Alessandro, says, when you are in a card store and you're opening up a box of cards, I don't care who's in the store, they are all waiting to see what you're going to get. So it's kind of like opening a present. Now, he's taken it a step further and created a character for opening up um, the baseball cards. He has named his character Dr. Wax Battle, and he wears a frizzy black wig. He's got sunglasses and tie-dyed costumes, and it's a brand that has served him very well and has even been recognized by the Tops Card Company. The story says that they are well aware of D'Alessandro and others like him. It's a free exposure, and that's almost right. I'm not ready to say it's free, I think it's earned. If you go to all the trouble to put yourself on YouTube in a costume and give yourself an alter ego, not it's not just free because that implies it's not valuable. You earn every one of those looks. So, it's another wrinkle in the world of collecting, the use of new media, pioneering media on YouTube, the use of video and I think the thing that was fun about watching these videos was the spontaneity that was there. It was obviously not rehearsed, and a lot of these videos, the you know the production values aren't very high because it's just somebody shooting it in their own room. But it was the fun of watching them go through the cards, and they'd identify the cards that were valuable, and those would go in one pile, and then the others that weren't so valuable went went into a shoebox or underneath the bed. I really commend it to uh, you baseball card folks out there. Go search YouTube for Card Breaks and um, get an eyeful of what the hobby is like in other parts of the world. So coming up later in the show, it's Heather Gallegos who's going to talk to us about balloons at the tail end and then next, our interview segment on collecting silver and gold coins. All here on Web Talk Radio, it's Harold Nickel and The Collector Show. (music) It's the interview segment of The Collector's Show. This week, we are joined by Jeff Ambio. Jeff is an expert on collecting coins, and we're going to talk with him about certain types of coins and certain types of collections. But meanwhile, Jeff, welcome to The Collector's Show.
2: Thank you very much for having me, Harold. Good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon. Now, um, let's talk first of all about collecting coins. How did you originally get interested in collecting coins?
2: Well, like many people, I suppose, I first developed an interest in collecting when I was about seven years old, mm-hmm. and my grandfather gave me a couple of old coins that he had saved. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember distinctly, they were, it was a 1936 Buffalo Nickel, oh, wow. and the second one was a 1940 Mercury Dime
0: okay um, these are not valuable coins in fact uh, the combined value of
2: both of these coins today is still less than about five dollars uh-huh but they sparked such an interest in collecting coins that I eventually turned my passion for these pieces into a full-time career that I've been working at now for more than 10 years.
1: No kidding so you collect coins for a living
2: uh, I guess you could I guess you could put it that way yes
1: yeah. How much fun is that? What a great job.
2: Yes, that is... A, uh, I, well, I, con- I consider myself to be one of the most fortunate people out there because um, I have the ability to work my hobby, so
0: to speak. Right. So
2: I, I've, I've turned my hobby and a long-term passion into a full-time career so when i go to work many times i don't even feel as though i'm working
1: that's neat now if i could ask you jeff just back off your phone just a little bit for me okay that's perfect okay so um... i want to talk with you later in the interview about you know how you make money at your hobby but you got interested from a gift from your grandfather yes that's right Um, and you say that these coins really aren't don't have a lot of monetary value it looks to me like um... Most people who collect coins specialize in a certain type of coin. Is that true?
2: Yes, that is absolutely true.
1: And what kinds of coins do you specialize in?
2: Well, over the years, I've collected a lot of different types of coins, almost exclusively um, United States pieces. Mm -hmm. At this point in time, I'm assembling a set of peace dollars, which is a type of silver dollar Mm -hmm. that was struck by the United States Mint from 1921 through 1935.
1: So these are dollar coins.
2: Yes, they are large-sized silver dollar coins.
1: Okay, and they—the idea of peace, I guess—the uh, opposite of war. What well, about?
2: They... Yes, and the the coin was actually conceived to mark the return of peace after the end of World War One, okay. which ended in 1918.
1: Okay, and what do they look like?
2: Ah. Uh, to most of the United States coins from that period, on the obverse is a portrait of a woman mm-hmm. who is supposed to symbolize liberty. Right. And on the reverse is a striking portrait of a bald eagle perched atop a mountain with the rays of the rising sun coming up behind them.
1: That's a very hopeful kind of image.
2: Absolutely, yes.
1: Now, were these coins circulated or were they just for collectors?
2: Actually made for the purpose of circulating.
1: Okay, and what did people do with them? Did they uh, did they use them in vending machines, or did they uh, hide them under the mattress? How were they used? Well,
2: silver dollars, as a whole, were never really used in everyday commerce. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these people, uh, a lot of these people, excuse me, a lot of these coins found their way to. Um, to uh, casinos oh. in uh, later years. And um, and then, of course, just uh, since the time they were made all the way up until now, the large size of these coins and the attractive look of them has just led many people to set them aside and save them.
1: So how does one go about assembling a collection of these dollars?
2: Well, I'm doing it predominantly through auction.
1: Okay. So there are coin dealers that have auctions and... Or online auctions, or both?
2: Um, online auctions, live auctions, yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Was there anything like the the state quarters that we have these days? You know, they they have the different states. How would you have a collection of more than one? In other words, what are the distinctive marks and the things about the coins that would lead you to collect different ones?
2: Different examples of the peace dollars? Yes, that's right. Um of these coins is built around the different dates of the Mm coin and also the different mints in which they were struck for this particular series examples were struck in three mints the main mint in philadelphia Mm -hmm. and then the mint in denver colorado and then the mint in san francisco california
1: and can you you can look at the coins and say oh that's where this this coin was struck
2: because there are little features on the coin known as a mint mark, uh-huh. which tells us where the coin was made. For this particular series, and for many series in, in the history of our country, the absence of a mint mark means that the coin was struck in Philadelphia. Uh-huh. For the Denver Mint, there would be a small letter D. For the San Francisco Mint, a small letter S.
1: Any of these coins still in circulation, or are they all uh, in the hands of collectors?
2: No, they're all in the hands of uh, collectors, investors, that kind
1: of thing. Now, which is more valuable for these coins? Is it the silver content or the coins themselves?
2: Uh, That's going to depend greatly upon the level of preservation, which plays an enormous role in determining value in the market for rare United States coins. Mm -hmm. Peace dollars that have been well-worn, that have been used in um, circulation, um, the precious metal content of those pieces truly determines their actual worth. Mm-hmm. Pieces that were set aside early, taken care of, pieces that that are virtually pristine, the value of those pieces as numismatic um Collectible far outstrips the uh, precious metal content of the coin itself.
1: So don't go melt your coins and turn them into silver bars. they're us
2: finding out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. We had a a segment on the program last week in the news about a woman who had found a box of buried uh, coins and um, literally buried in a shoebox in in the yard, and she dug them up and took them inside and scrubbed them all with a Brillo
0: pad.
2: Oh, no.
1: (laughs) And you you know the end of the story. They weren't worth anything. What kind of uh, hints do you have for people who stumble upon uh, uh, coins? Leave Leave them be?
2: Absolutely. That is the first rule of thumb. Coins should never be cleaned, altered, repaired, enhanced. So on and so forth, mm-hmm. particularly by someone who is not skilled in that art. Right. If you stumble across coins, receive coins as a gift, find coins that your grandfather saved, leave them in the state in which you find them, mm-hmm. and take them in that state to a reputable dealer or rare coin auctioneer.
1: Okay, that, that's good advice. I that's kind of what we talked about last week on the program. We did this news segment and perfect. Uh, yep. That was the advice I had. Thanks for validating the uh, the tip I gave.
0: Okay, you're very welcome.
1: Now let's talk a little bit about um, the state coins. Okay. How did that work, in your opinion, to rekindle interest in coin collecting? Did it have a positive effect?
2: Well, I think the statehood quarter program has had a tremendous effect on the hobby as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, the, the series itself, which was introduced in uh, 1999, is actually part of the United States Mint's larger program mm-hmm. to ally itself with coin collectors. Mm-hmm. And that program as a whole began really in the early 1990s. Mm-hmm. And I can't say for sure, but I do not believe the program really started in earnest with with someone in the government sitting down and saying, let's start this. I believe they just started working in that direction, and the pieces fell into place.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: What is so profound about it is that the entire program, including the um, statehood quarters, is in sharp contrast to the federal government's policy back in the 1960s, which is really not all that long ago. No, not really. And that was a time when the government actually wrongly blamed coin collectors for a nationwide shortage of circulating coins. No kidding. But now we've come full circle in the early 1990s and continuing on into the early years of the 21st century. The Mint has now recognized that coin collectors represent an important source of revenue for the federal government. Absolutely. And they've started producing many different types of coins expressly to pique the interest of people and, and turn them into avid collectors.
1: Well, it's high time they caught up with the Postal Service because they recognized for the longest time that commemorative stamps were not just uh, fun to print, but were a huge source of revenue exactly. for, the, for the Postal Service. Exactly. It's uh, it's nice to know that uh, the COIN folks are coming up. And I want to uh, talk about the, the penny shortage. So uh, we'll get to that here in a bit. Okay. But I want you to tell us about if you know what some of the other uh, commemorative coins the U.S. government is coming out with, other than the state ones, because I think that one's ended some time ago.
2: uh... the well, the Statehood Quarter program actually came to an end in two
1: thousand and eight. Okay.
2: But the government has extended that program hmm. into two thousand nine with a sub series that honors um, the uh, U.S. Um, territory. Right. So I believe there's going to be additional quarters honoring Washington D.C., Puerto Rico, and several other territories. I'm not exactly sure of which territories are going to be featured or exactly in which order.
1: Yeah, we collect. Yes, we collect those uh, here, and uh, I want to say D.C., Puerto Rico, like you said, but also the Virgin Islands. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh gosh, what's another one? Maybe Guam.
2: Guam, perhaps in the um, in the. Um, uh, Mariana Islands, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a nice uh, a nice augmentation for yes. the hobby, and uh, we have the big notebooks that uh, you fill them up with. So, um, oh yes, those are
2: very very popular.
1: Yeah, that that's a lot of fun to collect those. You're listening to the Collector Show with Harold Nickel on Web Talk Radio, and we're chatting with Jeff Ambio about coin collecting. Now, has the economy, Jeff, in your opinion, affected coin collecting? Absolutely. In a a good way or in a a negative way?
2: Well, it's actually a split. There's actually been two profound changes that I've seen within the last uh, 6 to 12 months. Okay. The first, um, the global uh, recession, um, uncertainty with the stock market, and the fear that I've been hearing from a lot of people that we may actually be in for a full-blown depression Mm -hmm. before all of this is over. Actually, prompted a lot of people to move away from more uh, traditional forms of investment, such as um, um, IRAs and um, and uh, uh, mutual funds. Mm-hmm. And a large number of these people have started flocking to precious metal, uh-huh. really gold. But I've also seen somewhat of an increase in the interest in platinum pieces as well. Oh, no kidding. Um, Now, focusing on the gold for a minute, since that's where most of the interest has been, um, it has led to a widespread um, uh, demand for both modern gold bullion coins, and Mm. these are pieces that are produced every year by uh, various countries, and also for classic United States gold coins. And Mm. by classic here, I mean coins dated 1933 and earlier. Ah, Um, so focusing on the um, on, uh, common date classic pieces, and these are pieces whose value is going to be tied very close to the, um, to the uh, precious metals market for gold. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, the price for these pieces has risen sharply over the last 12 months. Um, and then I've, what I've also seen, which is very, very interesting, is that dealers are having a very, very difficult time stocking these pieces in large quantities.
1: Oh, no kidding. Because people are hanging on to them, I guess.
2: Exactly. And not only people are holding on to them, but any new ones which um, which find their way into the market are quickly being snatched up by people.
1: Now, from a coin collecting point of view, are these valuable, like we talked about with the silver coins, are they valuable from... Uh, a coin collecting point of view or are they only holding value because they're made from gold?
2: The the uh, classic coins which are dated 1933 and earlier they do carry a premium because they are old coins they are um, collectible coins mm-hmm. but the premium on these coins stays relatively fixed it will fluctuate a little bit The but the The lion's share of the value for these coins comes from their um, precious metal content.
1: Okay. Now, what about yourself? Are you investing more in gold coins, or do you still have uh, mutual funds, or a little bit of
0: both?
2: I'm doing a uh, little bit of both, and several of the clients which I work with are also doing the same thing. Okay. Um, They feel as though stock prices are down. It may be a good opportunity to... Make some purchases there, but they're not really certain what's going to happen with the stock market over the next five to ten years. Mm-hmm. So they're putting more gold among their holdings as a hedge.
1: Okay, that's probably not a bad not a bad idea.
2: It's a simple strategy, but uh, it seems to be it seems to be very popular with people.
1: Now, if I were looking to divest some of my uh, stock holdings and start collecting coins as a hedge, what would be a good first step? Uh...
2: There's so much demand in the market for um, for gold, it might be tempting to send people that way, but I would caution against doing that right away mm-hmm. because of the um, the high value of gold it means that coins that are struck in gold are going to carry pretty hefty price tags. Right. Um. So, and there should be nothing to fear from that. But the very, very first step and the best advice that I can offer somebody right from the start is get educated about the hobby.
1: I think that's good advice.
2: Um, so many people are just so tempted to rush into buying coins that they end up making mistakes that are going to, that that could cost them a lot of money going forward.
1: Mm-hmm. And no doubt there are plenty of people who are willing to sell them coins regardless of what they know or don't know about the hobby.
2: Exactly. And that's an unfortunate, I think, uh, part of just about of just about any market out there, that that there are always going to be shadier elements Mm -hmm. operating around the fringes.
1: And if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
1: So if, just in general terms, never mind the uh, state of the economy or wanting to hedge our uh, bets on stocks and and whatnot, Mm -hmm. what would be a good first step for starting a coin collection in general? Well, I
2: would... Say, focusing on coins that are available in circulation.
1: Can you give us some examples?
2: Um, well, we talked about one already: the um, the um, uh, Statehood Quarter program. Okay. Um, inexpensive coins. Your investment in each coin is only twenty-five cents. Yeah. Um, they can be found very easily, just by looking through change, or just by going to your local bank and picking up rolls of quarters. Yeah. Um, folders and albums for such pieces abound in the market. You can buy them online, you can buy them from local bookstores, you can also buy them from local coin dealers. Right. Um, It is a very, very easy way to start learning about the basics of, okay, what makes this coin different from this one? Why do I need examples of both types? I can start actually fitting them into a folder and I can actually watch a collection and a set growing.
1: That sounds like fun. I've talked with somebody else, uh, I guess over a year ago, who said that she would go to banks and buy rolls of quarters, and that she could go through rolls of quarters and spot the silver quarters. Mm-hmm. Is that another good, fun thing to do?
2: That's certainly that's certainly a, an extremely fun thing to do. In fact, I remember that was one of the first things I did when uh-huh. I was about 9 or 10 years old with my father. Every Friday, on his way home from work, he would stop by the bank and pick up a roll or two of quarters and a roll or two of, um, of um, uh, half dollars for me. And I would spend Saturday morning rifling through those looking for pieces that contained silver.
1: And any any tips you can give us on how to spot silver? Is it the year they were made?
2: Uh, well, for, the, for quarters, anything dated prior to 1965. Mm-hmm. And another telltale sign is by looking at the edge of the coin all right modern quarters will have a two-tone color on the edge part white part brown right that is because of the alloy of copper nickel which is in those pieces Mm-hmm. silver pieces the edge will be completely white
1: okay so if it's got that copper hue to it on the side not a silver quarter
2: Exactly.
1: Oh, that's so much fun. I, I'm going to um, try to start doing that. If I ever uh, if I ever get a free moment, I'm going <laughs> to start working on, on that. Now, I had promised earlier we'd talk about the penny shortage. What kind of light can you shine on that for
2: us? Well, that's actually, uh, I, 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 I have to kind of say 100% honestly that in the circles that I've been running in, mm-hmm. I'm not completely familiar with that.
1: Okay. I think uh, part of it is that people just hold on to pennies because they don't want to carry them in their pockets because they're, you know, they're kind of, well, I don't want to say they're a nuisance, but maybe they are. <laughs> so uh, people just holding on to them, keeping them in boxes and piggy banks and things around the house and a shortage of pennies um, driving up the price of zinc and doing all kinds of other things. Um, but if you're not familiar with it, that's okay. Well,
2: I- I can actually I actually have a little bit of a side comment on that. Okay. Which I think it's very interesting in light of what you've just told me, is that this year, the the mint is coming out with a brand new circulating coin program highlighting the scent. Oh. So if there is a shortage of cents, I think it's very interesting that they are launching this program this year because as they change, the look of the scent, just the way they've done with the quarter through the Statehood Quarter program, mm-hmm. I'd believe that that would prompt even more people to set aside more cents. Okay. To want to hold on to them, so it seems as though if there is a shortage, it's probably destined to get worse in the short run than it is better.
1: Oh, that's neat. Now, when will that come out? Do you know?
2: That program is, was slated to start in two thousand and nine. Okay. My assumption is that the mint has already stru- started striking the first pieces. I have not actually seen any of those pieces for sale yet or in circulation, so I do not believe that they've been um, dispersed yet.
1: Okay. Well, we will keep an eye peeled for the new look pennies, and uh, you have a book also that uh, tell us about that.
2: Okay. Um, well, let's focus on my first book. Okay. Um, collecting and investing strategies for uh, United States gold coins the first of three books that I've written so far. I actually wrote this book back in 2007 when gold prices first started to climb as investors began to forecast significant gains for the precious metals market, which actually turned out to be true. Um, As the title of the book um, suggests, the book caters to both collectors and investors. Right. It details all major types of classic United States gold coins. And again, those classic pieces are the pieces dated 1933 and earlier.
0: -hmm.
2: Um, The book is built around a how-to type of format in which I offer advice on how people can pursue each gold type with the aim of building a meaningful collection or investment portfolio. Okay. Throughout the book, I talk about and recommend a lot of, of... Um, specific pieces that could help people meet various different goals whether they're collecting investing or doing a little bit of both there's also a lot of information in the book about the coin market as a whole such as how to find a reputable dealer and potential pitfalls to avoid when making purchases
1: it sounds perfect for uh the novice coin collector
2: absolutely and that's really the um, the uh, target market for the book.
1: Okay, what about the other two? Um,
2: well, the other two are a little bit more specialized. Okay. Um, they, are, they are still part of the Strategy Guide series, which I've been working on. The second book is Collecting and Investing Strategies for Walking Liberty Half Dollars, which is a type of half dollar that was struck in the in the United States mint from 1916 through 1947. Mm-hmm.
0: And the third book, and the most recent so far, is Collecting and Investing
2: Strategies for Barbara Dimes. That's in the process of being printed, and will be available here within the next couple of months.
1: Oh, perfect. And uh, I think Zyrus Press is your publisher, right?
2: That's correct.
1: So uh, we ought to look for that. For the other two books, where might we purchase a copy? Well, the
2: best place to acquire all three books, short of going to the uh, publisher themselves, is look for them on um, on uh, Amazon.com. Okay. Uh, Brick and mortar bookstores like Borders and Barnes and Noble should also be able to order you a copy. Okay. if They don't have one on the shelf already.
1: So just go to Amazon.com and type in Jeff Ambeo, That's Ambio. That's correct. And it's A M B I O.
2: That's correct, and it'll bring up a list of all the books that I've that I've written.
1: Outstanding, Jeff. You've been a great guest. Thank you so much for being with us this week on the Collector Show.
2: Great, Hal. I've had a lot of fun. Thank you for having
1: me. Coming up next, the Found Collectible of the Week with Heather Gallegos. Hey, Collector Show listener, are you trying to sell something over eBay? Would you like to have higher prices for your auctions, more traffic, and overall better results? Well, each and every week, the Collector Show is going to auction off a chance to be on the Collector Show. You can advertise your atoms for sale on eBay or other places. All you have to do is bid on the auction. Now, I'm going to offer this every week from now on. The auction will start every week at one penny. Go and bid, and regardless of how small the amount is, I will put you on the Collector Show. And you can talk about your collection, where to buy it, or if you have a book for sale, we'd be happy to talk about that. We're looking for a three to five minute segment. The price is dictated by what the auction gets. So go to eBay, look for the collector's show, bid, and win your chance to be on the collector's show. In keeping with the theme of this week's show being coins, our good friend Heather Gallegos with the Found Collectible of the Week has a lot of information to share with us about doubloons. Hi, Harold. Heather, welcome. Thank you. Now, talk with us a little bit about Spanish doubloons. That's right. We're going to cover Spanish
3: doubloons today, and then we're also going to touch on American doubloons. Hmm. I don't think a lot of people know about those, but we'll get to that later in the segment. Okay, cool. So the word doubloon comes from the Spanish word, doblon, which Mm -hmm. means double. Ah. And the reason why, the whole reason for that name, is because it was worth, the currency value was worth two pesquados, which was the currency of the time in Spain.
1: Which uh, I think today the, the Spanish currency is the peseta, or even the euro. Yeah. So this was something earlier than that.
3: That's right, much, much earlier. They were first minted in 1566 during the reign of Philip II. Okay. There's also a little bit of lore that goes along with it. The reason why it got the name for double was Mm -hmm. there was a portrait of Ferdinand and Isabella, the king and queen at the time that um, financed Columbus's trip to the United States. Right. The New World
1: at that time. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Given uh, a lot of credit for having the foresight to give Columbus the money to come here— Now, the ore itself was found here, and then the coins were minted and then shipped back to Spain. Is that right?
3: That is absolutely correct. They were shipped back to continue to finance things like the spice trade, um, getting silk. And there is an estimated $160 million of gold and silver buried in those uh, tropical waters between Florida and the Caribbean. Wow. Just due to the Spanish galleons that sunk during that time.
1: So my guess is going to be that people who are real-life treasure hunters are the ones who are out looking to collect these doubloons, right?
3: Absolutely. They spend a lot of their time in those waters trying to find or bring up those coins, and, and the collectors are really looking for um, the, the doubloons that were minted between 1588 and 1874. They're very popular, um, but their um, monetary value can range just due to fluctuation of the gold content that was in the coins themselves.
1: Yeah, now, I would think, as somebody who doesn't know a whole lot about this, that the value of these would be such that they'd be priceless.
3: Some are. Some are priceless. Those are usually held by museums. Mm-hmm. But others are traded for thousands of dollars. You can go out to eBay. I found over 30 on eBay. Get out. I The large, the, the most expensive was 8500 wow. There's also a lot of replicas on eBay, too, and they range around the $20 mark. Okay. So if you're just looking, you know, to have a couple, that would be fine, but that, you know, you could get them pretty inexpensively.
1: Now, until today's conversation with Neil, I had no idea that there was such a thing as an American doubloon. Tell us about those. It's known as the
3: Brasher doubloon. Yeah? Uh, Ephraim Brasher was a friend of George Washington, and also he was a silversmith and goldsmith, mm-hmm. and also a political figure in the New York area. And he started minting a coin. There's only seven that he minted. Um, he's just trying to get the uh, from New York. The, at that point, all the states are run individually. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to become the coin maker for that area. Um, he was turned down in his bid, but he did make seven coins, and they all bear his initials on the eagle that is on the face side of that coin. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly, they appear on his wing, but there is one where it appeared on the breast of the, the eagle, mm-hmm. and that coin was sold, I believe it was, oh gosh, in the
1: 1990s for over $2.9 million. Wow. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more to this than just gold content. It's the uh, prominence, who made it, who owned it, things like that.
3: There's so much that goes into collecting coins. And another thing to be looking for, if you are going to start collecting doubloons, mm-hmm. they are not spherical in shape. They are not perfectly rounded. These were handmade coins. And as they were made, they were weighed. And if they were over, the person making it would just snip from the edges. So that's something to keep in mind when you're looking. They're not going to be perfectly round. They should show some wear and tear for being in circulation as Mm -hmm. well. So there's a lot to look
1: for when you start collecting these. Now, doubloons have also taken on a role as far as uh, celebrations in this century, and I'm thinking really about Mardi Gras when people throw bees, but they also throw doubloons, and you found some information about a fellow who collects those doubloons. Tell us about him.
3: Raphael Monzan, he is a native from um, New Orleans, and he has a collection of over 200,000 doubloons from Mardi Gras. Now, the typical ones that are thrown from the floats are Mm -hmm. made of tin. Oh, yeah. But there's also commemorative doubloons that are made for the crews that are on the parade float itself. Right. And those are usually made from silver or gold, and those can be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. No kidding. mm, Yeah, I know. Monsoon has all, the collection is complete, so he has crew commemorative doubloons as well as just the general ones. He started collecting them as a child, and he came up with a whole system on how to collect them, and... A lot of the kids, they'll run out in the street and, you know, bend down and try to scoop them up. Yeah. He would cover them with his foot being very careful not to put too much pressure on them, so he would scratch them. Yeah. Already a collector at a young age, thinking about the condition <laughs> A
1: of <them>. smart collector.
3: <laughs> and he's also inherited his mother's collection. She was quite the collector, so that must have been where he got his spark to start his collection. So to
1: make sure I understand, these doubloons from the Mardi Gras parades are for the different crews, and they're not made of tin. They're made of precious metals.
3: Those are the commemoratives. But the ones that the the crews throw off into the streets along with the beads, Mm -hmm. those will have um, the the seam for whatever the the float was,
1: and those are the ones that are made of the tin. And I'm going to bet that there are a lot of people who collect just those, right?
3: Absolutely. There's quite a few people that collect just those. And they change from year to year because each year it's a different theme. And the pictures on them are different. Some are dated. Um, you know, they'll say Mardi Gras or, or New Orleans. So there's a lot of different things that people, collectors, would be looking for
1: when they when coming to collect these types of doubloons. A whole new angle on collecting coins, collecting doubloons. Mm-hmm. I would like to really go and collect these gold doubloons. I'm thinking like scuba tank and a metal detector. Wow. Th- <laughs> I
3: think you may need a little more than that. Maybe some
1: more expertise than that.
3: Yeah, just I I a little bit more. But, you know, there's so many collections at museums around the world, so it's a fun collection that way, too, right? Even if you're not getting really into the coin collecting aspect of it, yeah. from the historical aspect or just as you go around the country or, or around the world
1: visiting different museums, you really see a fine collection that way. And who knows, maybe someday I will get to go treasure hunting. Maybe you will. And I'll be equipped with all the information I need because I listen to this segment. Collector show in general, you'll be well-equipped. Oh, man. You have so many different things on, Harold. You you know all the right things to say. I try. Thank you so much, Heather, for another really interesting version of the found collectible of the week. And we'll be back again next week. I'm going to try to find somebody who collects Simpsons things from the TV show and, of course, the movie. Reason being, there's a new commemorative stamp for The Simpsons that's coming out, and I thought that would be apropos, a good tie-in. So, please tune in next week hopefully for a version of the simpsons and another found collectible of the week here on web talk radio thanks for listening bye for now
0: if i had a million dollars if i had a million dollars well i'd buy you some
3: art thanks for listening to the collector's show see you next week
1: if i had
0: a million dollars i'd buy you I'd be rich